Welcome to Work Life Confidential with your host, Ken Dolan Delvecchio. Work Life Confidential gets to the heart of uncomfortable, sometimes taboo topics. Bosses and coworkers behaving badly, other workplace stresses, gender, race, money, and their effect on everything that happens at work and in your life outside of work. Together, we'll find the answers you've been looking for. Now, here is Ken Dolan Delvecchio. Welcome to Work Life Confidential. I'm Ken Dolan Delvecchio. It's great to have you with us. And I will start with a little story for you. So I'm the kind of guy who thinks it's really important to speak up and to say what's on my mind and to ask questions. I think it's really important for us to talk about the questions and the issues that are before us. And so when I was hired by Prudential about 20 years ago, I had the good fortune to be present at a town hall at which the CEO, whose name was Art Ryan, was holding court with all of the the people who was on the on the stage with him and it came time to open the floor for questions. And my question was, I said, you know, I've been here just a couple weeks, and I'm thrilled with the diversity that I see. My coworkers and colleagues come from all different kinds of backgrounds, and it's really a wonderful thing. And yet, when I look up on the stage, I see all white people and all men except for one woman. And I'm wondering what you're doing to try to bring greater diversity into the most senior ranks. And Art was very gracious, and he spoke for a bit, and a couple of the other people on the stage spoke for a bit. And and that was my question. What I wasn't expecting was afterwards so many people rushed me, and they said they've never seen anything like that. And, and what they were talking about was how almost all the questions at that kind of event were actually staged that somebody in human resources or somebody in the talent or training organization would write a question and give it to somebody who would then ask it because most of the time nobody would speak up from their own thoughts and say what was on their mind. And I unfortunately I saw that over and over again in my experience at Prudential and at other companies where I was consulting. And and so today we're going to talk about the importance of speaking up, the, the importance to us, the importance to the organization to which we're contributing. And we have an absolutely brilliant, brilliant guest who's <laughs> here. <laughs> Lisa's laughing. Who's going to share her thoughts and her experience with us? Let me tell you a little bit about her. First of all, Lisa Parker is my friend, and she is a business mentor, and so she means a great deal to me, both personally and professionally. Lisa is president and founder of the executive coaching firm Heads Up Coaching and Consulting, which is headquartered in New York City. She has designed and delivered training and coaching programs for companies throughout the U.S. and internationally. Before launching her business in 2002, Lisa was the vice president and chief learning officer at MetLife's Institutional Business Division. She has been quoted in USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, lots of other major news outlets. She's a popular keynote speaker, and she is the author of Managing the Moment, 
A Leader's Guide to Building Executive Presence One Interaction at a Time. Get the book. It's called Managing the Moment, A Leader's Guide to Building Executive Presence One Interaction at a Time. You can visit Lisa on the web at www.headsupcoach.com. Lisa, it's great to have you with us. Why don't people speak up, even when they're invited to, even when the floor is open, whether it's at a town hall or, or a department meeting, or sometimes even just in an exchange with their supervisor, let's say? Well, people, and thank you for that kind introduction, by the way, Ken. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you. P- people don't speak up because of fear, Right. Okay. So the fear of sounding stupid or the fear that it's not going to come out right or the fear that they're going to be judged or the fear that their comment will generate conflict that they're not prepared to handle or fear of disappointing someone, fear of disappointing themselves. There is a lot of fear that goes on in the workplace. People are oftentimes very vulnerable at work. And so when you feel vulnerable, you can go into protection mode. So when I hear that, that people are afraid of sounding stupid or that what they have to say won't come out right or they'll be judged or they will generate some kind of discomfort or conflict, I guess what comes to mind for me is, well, of course they will. And of course those (laughs) things will happen. And that's the currency of collaboration. And so how do we help how do we help people to I guess push beyond that which holds them back? And then also how do people who are on the receiving end, coworkers, managers, leaders, create more of a sense that that's what it's about. It's really about going into those places of uncertainty together. Well, you talk about the currency of collaboration, and I wish that that was a universal currency, but it's not. It ought to be, but it's not. So you might have Art Ryan up there in the front of the town hall and all of the eager, happy, prudential employees sitting there saying, oh, yes, this is so wonderful, and it is wonderful, but then you go back to your work unit And you have someone who is less collaborative in charge of that group. Or you have competitive or highly politicized uh, political people uh, as your co-workers. And all of a sudden, what felt safe in Art Ryan's presence is no longer safe in your everyday world. So I wish we could all hold hands and collaborate together all the time. But we can't. So then comes your second question. How do we push ourselves forward? And and at that point, we have to confront the fear. So really, what is it that we're afraid of? And, and as I said before, we're afraid of being wrong. Well, okay, is that a valid fear? Okay, if it is a valid fear, um, what could we do to confront that fear? If I'm afraid of sounding stupid, well, what specifically do you think is going to make you sound stupid? Or what, if I'm afraid of disappointing people, well, let's get underneath that. Let's talk about that. Who do you fear disappointing? 
What is it that you might say or do that would disappoint them? How can you keep that from happening? What could you do before the meeting, before the presentation, before the town hall, or during or after to minimize any potential disappointment? So when I'm coaching people to find their voice or to find their courage, we always start with, well, what is it exactly that you want? Because you're not going to push yourself if you're not going to push yourself towards something that you want. So the goal, this person's goal is always first. Okay. Okay. So, so knowing myself, knowing what I want, being prepared beforehand. Exactly. Exactly. Knowing, Knowing the context that you're going into, because even when I think about that, that circumstance that I described, one of the things that strikes me is that I'm a white man. I am <laughs> I am new to the organization. I mm-hmm. don't have a huge investment yet. Mm-hmm. And and so as I said as a white man, I'm likely to be given the benefit of the doubt more so than I'm thinking if I were a man of color or a woman of color mm-hmm. coming into that new organization. I'm coming with a different mindset because I came from the world of Mm -hmm. family therapy, behavioral health, institute, and academic settings. And so where we come from and the way that we anticipate the world looking at us and judging us, as you said, I'm, I'm thinking plays in in large measure as well. Absolutely. You couldn't be more right. If you had grown up in corporate, and I mean professionally grown up, of course. I shudder at the thought. (laughs) Well, as one who did and survived to tell the story, uh, had you grown up in corporate, you would have grown up um, in a world that is extremely self-conscious. Not necessarily self-aware, mind you, but inordinately self-conscious and constantly questioning how am I being perceived is this right is this okay will they accept me will they reject me if this person is in power versus that person is in power then is my idea still a good idea or is it now a bad idea and and you you grow up with this this I hate to use the word paranoia but there's a little tinge of paranoia in everything you do that you hope it's right I, I got to tell you, just listening to that description, my my head is spinning, and I'm and yeah. I'm remembering I'm remembering the looks on people's faces when they were in any sort of group context, and I you I could see all of that yeah. in their expressions and in their reticence. I I think you said something really important. They are self conscious, but not necessarily self aware. Can you talk about both of those? The distinction between them? Yes. So in my presence workshops or in my executive presence coaching work, we strive for self-awareness. So what do we mean by self-awareness? Self-awareness is an objective understanding of my true strengths and weaknesses and a real pre-sense of how I come across and what other people expect of me in any given situation. Okay, so I know there's a lot there. So if I have a clear pre-sense, and that's a a deliberate play on the word presence, but if I have a a clear pre-sense 
of how I come across. And if I am self-aware, meaning I can manage my actions, behaviors, and emotions, then I can go confidently into a situation, particularly if I also have a pre-sense of what they, whoever they are, want from me. That's self-awareness. Self-consciousness is that judgmental self-talk, usually negative, that goes on in our head that is constantly telling us that something's not right or we're not sure if it's right or we wish we had done something differently. But it's, 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 it's an obsessive kind of a preoccupation in your head with something that's wrong, either real or imagined. And, and the little voice is, is critical. Now, here's the interesting thing when we talk about self-awareness and self-consciousness. When we talk about fully being present and in control of a situation, we mean being 100% in the room and not up obsessing in our head. If I'm self-conscious, where's my attention? My attention's up in my head. If my attention is in my head, now it's not on the room. And now there's things that are going on around me that I'm only partly comprehending, which increases that cycle of fearfulness. Yeah, and and, uh, I'm going to just jump in because you're you're saying a lot. And and one of the one of the threads that I take away and that I've used in coaching people when they're doing a, a presentation is we tend to feel like it's all about us. Right. Like it's like we are we are so preoccupied with how we look and how we're coming across right. and whether or not we're nervous that we lose sight of the fact that when we come to an interaction with another person, we're most interested in what's to be gained through that mm-hmm. interaction. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that's a part of what you're you're describing. That mm-hmm. self-awareness is the awareness of myself in the context mm-hmm. of others and the particular environment that we're gathering in. And Correct. What what's expected of me and have I prepared in a way that's going to allow me to to give what will be helpful to others in that in that situation. That's that exactly fit? right. That's exactly right. In fact, Ken, I was doing a, a a networking event where I was the keynote and I had the wonderful opportunity to survey my audience in advance. And I asked the people in my audience, when do you feel most confident? When do you feel like you can speak up? And the answers were uh, when I am well-versed in the topic, when I am prepared and I know my subject matter, when I have invested the time in advance to be prepared, when I know that I look presentable and I'm comfortable with the environment, when I am perceived as the expert, and it went on and on and on, that's when people felt most confident. So here's the big shocker. They felt self-conscious when they were unprepared, (laughs) when they were overwhelmed, when they were caught off guard, when they felt like they were being tested versus being listened to, when they were intimidated by other people's credentials, or when there were a lot of people looking at them. Right. And so, yeah. again, this whole, this whole idea of being prepared and, and knowing that, 
mm-hmm. knowing that you are prepared, being confidently grounded in that knowledge and staying in the in the moment, managing the moment, one mm-hmm. might say. Thank and, you. <laughs> and and not getting lost in, oh my God, everybody's looking at me. Mm-hmm. You that want everybody to be, to be looking at you That's in a right. very positive way. That's absolutely right. And and <laughs> I say to people, you know, I had a woman in one of my workshops and she felt very self-conscious and she was kind of grabbing at the front of her jacket and trying to, to close it. And it w- was not going to close. And uh, somebody in my group said, you, you were very fidgety up there. And she said, oh, yes. You know, she said, I'm, I'm terribly self-conscious. This is the first time I've worn this suit since I came back from maternity leave and I didn't realize that it was still a little bit too small and and I shouldn't have worn it but it used to be my favorite and etc cetera, etc cetera. And, and and I said well so so what are you saying she said I'm saying that I need to lose 10 pounds and I said well you're not going to lose 10 pounds by 2:30 so leave the jacket alone <laughs> so at some point in time you have to you have to call it Right, you have to say, "This is what I'm wearing. This is what I know. I'm here. Let it go. That that self consciousness. Let it go. You're not going to lose ten pounds by quarter after eleven. Right? Let it go. And and also, you're so much more focused on that than <laughs> anybody in the room. Anybody so true. in the room. Instead, you are you are drawing focus to what I've heard you call the second story yes. by pulling at your coat. Does she feel uncomfortable? Is her coat pinching her in some way? Is there something going on? And it's a distraction more than anything else. That's we're right. gonna st- we're gonna stop here for just a moment and we'll be back in a couple a couple moments after this break. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Maybe you're putting together an event and need a keynote speaker who makes it comfortable to talk about the most challenging subjects, mental health, race, gender, and workplace violence among them. A speaker who can give detailed how-to guidance based on decades of experience as a corporate executive, human resources professional, and psychotherapist. Or maybe you find yourself getting ready for an important presentation, meeting, or conversation and wish you had an expert advisor to help you prepare. A professional who will help you script what you'll say and plan for what comes next. Ken Dolan Del Vecchio is available to speak at your event on workplace or relationship subjects. He's also a trusted advisor, consultant, and coach to business leaders and others. Visit GreenGateLeadership.com to learn more and get in touch. That's GreenGateLeadership.com. As a business professional, you know there is no greater challenge than keeping the people around you focused, engaged, and productive. We all have situations in our lives that rob us of our most important resource, attention. The key to dealing with the distractions and still being our best is resilience. We can't always avoid challenging situations, but we can make sure we bounce back. FEI, the workforce resilience expert, is the leader in helping your workforce be their best selves. We have a range of services to strengthen well-being, enhance culture, empower safety, and manage crisis. From the most personal problems to crises on a global scale, our experience can help you meet any challenge. 
If you're working to keep your workforce focused, engaged, and productive, contact FEI Workforce Resilience at 1-800-987-1948 or visit feinet.com. FEI, the workforce resilience experts. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Work Life Confidential. It's time to hear your voice. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Ken at GreenGateLeadership.com. Now, back to Work Life Confidential. Here again is Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. Welcome back. We're speaking with Lisa Parker, who is the CEO of Heads Up Coaching. And we were talking about the importance of being well-prepared and self-aware rather than self-conscious. And what are some of the things that rob us of our courage? What are some of the things that get in the way of us courageously approaching those moments when we need to we need to give to others and we need to be focused on what what it is that we're providing. Well, what gets in the way sometimes is is the perception that we have that we're not ready or that we're not good enough or that we haven't prepared enough. The perception. When in fact most people over prepare for some of these situations. And I think what, what's so, so interesting is where is the line between not ready and ready? Where is the line between underprepared and overprepared? Where is that, where is that just right place? And that it's that just right place and trying to find it is what tips somebody from feeling ready to feeling unready. Or it's, from, right, okay. Well, yeah, it's interesting what you say about being overprepared. I have heard stories of people who are going to speak for five minutes to open a program, and they've got 10 slides, and they've had two of their colleagues working to pull together the content. And, they're, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and you listen to it, you listen to the angst and think, mm-hmm what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do? So that, that idea of being overprepared, I think is, is interesting. And, 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 and how do you know, how do you know when you've got the right balance? It's a great, it's a great question, I believe. Yeah, it is a great question. And, and, and this is where it helps if you have friends, colleagues, coaches, observers, other people that can help you do a reality check on your state of readiness. I mean, think about how many times can you've said as a, as a, as a manager of people, and I said it too many times, you got this, you're ready. You got this, you're ready. And they look at you like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So sometimes we can't validate for ourselves. And so we need that, that extra pair of ears and eyes to tell us, to help us know that we're ready and to, continue to mm, nudge us towards reality, away from self-consciousness and towards self-awareness and reality. 
the the other thing too is is there's this notion, and I know you've heard this many times, that it's got to be perfect, that I can't make a mistake, it can't have any flaws in it, and we've all worked for punishing bosses who find the flaw and make you feel lousy about it, right? So, you know, sometimes, right? So in corporate, yep. it's corporate's very unforgiving of mistakes, and therefore we strive for a perfect world that can never be achieved, which means we live in a constant state of angst and uneasiness. Let me ask you a question. What do you think of this? When I was new as a professional and part of a family therapy program, I would do presentations. And I remember the first couple times I did it, the leader of the institute, I was chatting with her before and I said, oh, I'm so nervous. And she said, yeah, of course you're nervous. You just do it anyway. And Mm. in fact, when I was doing a presentation to our to our class of family therapy trainees, she said on one occasion, she said, hey, Ken just told me he's nervous, so expect him to be nervous. <laughs> and, and, and what do you think of that? Because it was very interesting the way it sort of both cleared and punctuated that fact. In, in some ways, I love it because honestly, you know, if we can't own our flaws and be fully human, then what are we doing there anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And and I love to tell people that, do you think you're the only speaker that ever got up in front of a group and was nervous? <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, if that were true, I wouldn't have a job. So right. I, I can promise you that that's not true. And I can promise you that it's, it's I can promise you that they're nervous at every level of the organization. Oh, absolutely, which right? is something that I've learned. And it, at first, it was it was a little bit surprising, but then I it just dawned on me: we're all human beings. Mm-hmm. We all are made of the same stuff. We have mm-hmm. the same sorts of of wiring, and and so there are some things that we just will find challenging. We'll get better with practice, but we may That's not right. feel completely comfortable. Where does courage come from? How do you get it? How do you build it? Oh, you, you, (laughs) courage comes by facing the fear one step at a time. Mm -hmm. Courage is like when your son was little, okay, if he, if he woke up in the night and he was scared, there's a monster under my bed. Okay. Did that ever happen, Ken? Things like that happen. Yes. Okay. He actually would say there were ghosts trying to eat my legs. Oh dear. Oh my. Well, see, I had monsters under my bed and therefore I didn't let my hands or my feet go out from under the covers until I was probably, you know, 27. But the, the, the monsters, if there's a monster under your child's bed, you go in and you lift up the bedspread and you shine the flashlight under and you show Mm -hmm. your child that there's nothing there. And so when, when we are trying to build our courage, we have to shine the flashlight on whatever it is that we think we're afraid of. We have to look at it. We have to confront the fear. So if the fear is, um, I'm afraid of sounding stupid, then the work is, let's make you sound smart until you actually feel smart. If the work is, what if, my, what if somebody asks me a question and I can't answer it? I mean, if the fear is I won't be able to answer a question, then the work is let's prepare your Q&As until you feel solid. If the fear is I, I'm, I don't look professional, I feel self-conscious, 
then the work is go to Nordstrom and work with a personal shopper and get yourself a good <laughs> tailor and a really good haircut. And so, so courage comes by confronting the fear step by step by step, one step and, at a time. And then is there a point at which you force yourself forward? And I have yeah. to just say, since you asked the yeah. question, what I said to Eric was, tell the monster or tell the ghost to go away and keep in mind that ghosts can't actually hurt you. Ooh. And it really seemed to work. He did. He told them to go away. And it didn't. they didn't always completely go away, but he knew they couldn't hurt him. That is so, so powerful. You gave him the power. So let me tell you another little story. I know that you, um, you and I talked at one point in time about Pima Chodron and her book, When Things Fall Apart. And for the listeners who don't know, um, Pima is a therapist and she's also a Buddhist nun. And she's an amazing writer and an amazing healer. In her book, When Things Fall Apart, she talks about one of her clients who came to her afraid to fall asleep because she was having horrible nightmares. And in these nightmares, she's running down these twisting, turning, dark corridors, and she's being chased by monsters, and she can feel their hot breath on the back of her neck. And, and she's running, running down these corridors, and up ahead, she sees a closed door. And she's so afraid that she's going to get to that door and not be able to get through it. And the monsters are going to get her and she would wake up out of breath and sweaty and very, very upset. So she was telling this to Pima and Pima said to her, well, what do the monsters look like? And Pima said, I, I mean, the client said, uh, I don't know. I'm afraid to look at them. And Pima said, all right, well, let's, let's try to let's plant a seed so that the next time you have this dream, can you make yourself turn around and look at them so that we know what we're dealing with? And the woman said, okay, I'll try. So sure enough, she's in her dream. She's running down the corridor and somehow or other she remembers, I need to turn around and look at the monster. She turned around and looked and the monster shrank away to nothing. Hmm. It was gone. Hmm. So I was at a networking event and I was talking about fear and courage and I was talking about shining the light under the bed. And I told this story about Pima and her client. And I had everybody in the room think about what was the monster under their bed and write it on a little piece of paper. And then I had them write on this piece of paper what they would need to get rid of the monster. So, for example, if they were afraid of their ideas being rejected, then what they needed was acceptance. Mm -hmm. If they were afraid of sounding incompetent, then what they needed was assurance of their competence. So, I had everybody write down what they needed and then they got up and walked around the room. So all of these people walking around this room and they had to find at least 10 people, shake their hand and say, hi, my name is Lisa and I need acceptance. Or hi, <laughs> my great. name is Ken and I need courage. That's great. So they all stood up and they all talked about this one thing that they needed to get rid of their monster. And then they all sat down and the room was just all a buzz. It was so much fun. You would have loved it. And... <laughs> 
I said, so how was that? And some people in the room said, I felt empowered by asking for what I needed. It sounds so freeing. It, it sounds was. like it would create such relief to just get it out of yourself so that yeah. you can look at it. It reminds me of, yeah. I might have seen this on a fortune cookie or I might have seen it in some reading. And I think it's attributable to Confucius. But what I recall are the words, go to the center of your fear and there you'll find peace. Exactly. And so, again, perfectly along those lines, and just like turning around and looking at the monster, other people in the room said, the more I kept saying, this is what I need, the less I felt like I needed it until at the <laughs> end it shrank away to nothing. That's Just brilliant. by confronting it. That's absolutely brilliant. So our courage, our courage comes by demystifying the fear. And remembering that that fear and courage live side by side. Yes, and your yeah. fear is going to make you stuck. Yeah. But the path to courage is just one step. Yeah. So you said that your friend said to you, um, just, I, I know you're nervous, but do it anyway. The courageous mm -hmm. path is being a complete coward and moving forward anyway. Yeah. 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 I mean, the way I think about it, too, one way I think about it is that courage is an opportunity. A fear is an opportunity for courage. Fear is an opportunity for yeah. bravery. I like and that. that. And that that's one of the that's one of the reasons that we're here is to grow in our courage and bravery. Yeah, it's so true. Hesitation and action, they live side by side now and never lives side by side. It's right yeah. there. Yep. Yep. Now, let me ask you a question. I know you've said this and you've got it in your book. Why do you love to hear up until now? Oh, I the three little words I love to hear, <laughs> right? Up until now. I love up until now because up until now has no judgment. So here's how I use that phrase. Somebody will say, oh, oh, I I could never speak in front of a large group. Or somebody will say, oh, you know, I always talk too fast. My family says, or, 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 or. Oh, I'm the, I'm the shy one of the family. So people, they have these, these stories that they tell themselves or these impressions that they have of themselves that, they, that are going to get in the way of them moving forward. So I like to say to people, well, up until now, up until now, you were the quiet one in the group, but now you want your ideas to be heard, and so you're going to speak up more. Up until now, I felt self-conscious because I was the only woman on the committee, but now I know that they invited me to be on this committee for a reason, and I'm going to speak up more. So up until now is a pivot point. It says, yes, what I believed up until now was what I believed and no judgment. But now it's getting in the way of what I want. I, I feel like what you do with that, and I've seen you do it, and it's wonderful, is you present the person you're speaking with, with the gift of telling them that this moment is your threshold of change. Mm -hmm. This moment, right now. Mm -hmm. 
and it is it is so important i feel in many circumstances for people to be able to declare that this is a i am right now starting a new history right mm-hmm. now i have the authority the power the energy to do that i love that moment because if not now then when mm-hmm. and I think the pivotal question in that moment is, am I satisfied to stay at this point forever? Or do I want to do something different for myself? Well, I I was going to ask you, and you're leading me there right now, what do you do when somebody feels hopeless about that? Or they, they feel like it's just not possible for me to change. This is the way I am. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, that kind yeah. of thing. I, I, they may not even, they, they may cling, they may say I don't want to, or, or they may yeah. say I, I just don't think I can. Well, you know, it's resistance. That is resistance, classic mm-hmm. resistance. And resistance shows up in lots of different ways. And people resist change, even the changes that they want. Yep. Okay, yep. so we we have to recognize that that resistance is coming from a place of deep, deep discomfort. And again, we have to take it apart and shine the light on it. What is it that's making you so uncomfortable? Now, we have to remember too, Ken, that in my work, I'm lucky because when people um, get the opportunity to work with the coach, it, it, it's a privilege. You know, they see it as a privilege. They see it as mm-hmm. a perk. They seek me out. You know, I, I very rarely get people that are, quote, quote, unquote, sent to me for remedial repairs, you know. So most of the time, people that, that come to me are stuck. These are really mm-hmm. smart people, really yep. successful people. They've achieved so much. But there's more that they want in their life, and they're stuck. So going back to what I said earlier, their goal of what they want is always first, if they're not tied to the goal, then they don't need me and they don't need to change. It's, it's very simple. So they're stuck on their way to the goal. So that's number one. When people feel like they can't change, we have some conversations about the ways that they've changed already. The behavior changes they've made, the risks they've taken, the, I mean, things as simple as somebody deciding to move away from home to go to school is a risk. And you point that out to them and they say, oh, yeah. Or (laughs) for heaven's sakes, deciding to get married or have a baby or learn to ride a motorcycle. You know, all of these things take, are, are a risk. And so you did that. So you start to show them all the times in the past where they have made a change, where they have learned a new behavior. And then you remove or minimize whatever the perceived obstacle is that's getting in their way now. There's my big flashlight, right? And then a baby step, just a baby step in that direction and check back. How was that? That was good. Okay. You're right. Celebrate Yahoo. You were very courageous. Let's do another one. Oh, I don't look at just one little baby step. How about this? Okay. And, and eventually guess what? You know, they're flying. So you let them reflect on the fact that they've made progress throughout their lives. That's that they right. have initiated healing, positive, growing changes 
throughout their lives. That's right. Wonderful, wonderful. We're going to stop here for a few moments, and then we'll be back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. As a business professional, you know there is no greater challenge than keeping the people around you focused, engaged, and productive. We all have situations in our lives that rob us of our most important resource, attention. The key to dealing with the distractions and still being our best is resilience. We can't always avoid challenging situations, but we can make sure we bounce back. FEI, the workforce resilience expert, is the leader in helping your workforce be their best selves. We have a range of services to strengthen well-being, enhance culture, empower safety, and manage crisis. From the most personal problems to crises on a global scale, our experience can help you meet any challenge. If you're working to keep your workforce focused, engaged, and productive, contact FEI Workforce Resilience at 1-800-987-1948 or visit feinet.com. FEI, the workforce resilience experts. Maybe you're putting together an event and need a keynote speaker who makes it comfortable to talk about the most challenging subjects, mental health, race, gender, and workplace violence among them. A speaker who can give detailed how-to guidance based on decades of experience as a corporate executive, human resources professional, and psychotherapist. Or maybe you find yourself getting ready for an important presentation, meeting, or conversation and wish you had an expert advisor to help you prepare. A professional who will help you script what you'll say and plan for what comes next. Ken Dolan Del Vecchio is available to speak at your event on workplace or relationship subjects. He's also a trusted advisor, consultant, and coach to business leaders and others. Visit GreenGateLeadership.com to learn more and get in touch. That's GreenGateLeadership.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Work Life Confidential. It's time to hear your voice. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Ken at GreenGateLeadership.com. Now, back to Work Life Confidential. Here again is Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. Welcome back. We're speaking with Lisa Parker, who is author of Managing the Moment, A Leader's Guide to Building Executive Presence, One Interaction at a Time. It's a wonderful, practical book, and everybody should read it, in my estimation. So, Lisa, we're talking about finding our courage and reviewing the ways that we've been able to meet challenges and grow in the past and and becoming as self-aware as we can. And then we're in a soup of stress <laughs> at many workplaces. There's stress yeah. coming at us from many directions. And you have said that stress is the poison of presence. Talk about that some and and your recommendations on how we can we can take the antidote for that poison. Okay. When we talk about presence, we talk about what shows up when you show up. 
So what shows up when you show up at work and you're having a great day? You had a good night's sleep. The baby let you sleep all night. Your car started in the morning, whatever it was that's not snowing. What shows up when you show up in a state of peak performance? It's pretty awesome, right? Usually your head is clear. Your thoughts are well articulated. Your listening is is very tuned in. You're just at peak performance. When we start to feel stressed, what happens is too much stress and we start to feel fatigued. And therefore, we have less adaptive energy to perhaps read a situation correctly or to listen fully and patiently or to give the why behind an order we might be giving to a colleague. We, we are fatigued. And so it's, we don't show up as our best self. Now, the more that stress level increases, the lower our performance level will fall until we start to reach levels of of literal mental shutdown. I just couldn't get another thought. I felt like I couldn't articulate another sentence. I couldn't listen to one more word that guy was saying. Or it shows up and we hear ourselves say these things. Oh, I was so stressed out. I couldn't take a breath. I was so angry. I had to take a walk around the block before I could return that phone call. That's what happens when the stress causes our ability to perform to drop down. And so therefore, how do we show up when we show up stressed? We show up impatient. We show up angry, curt, bitchy, bossy. Wait, did you just say bitchy? I did. Am I allowed to say that on the air? (laughs) Well, you already did. So there it is. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's a real word, right? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Well, let me, let me tell you something. One of the, one of the recommendations I've found to be really helpful with my coaching clients is I say, when you come into that building, you want to think about what you do as though you're being videotaped, mm. which, of course, you probably are, but mm-hmm. that's another story. And, and you want that videotape to reflect your best self all the time. You want yeah. it to reflect you being patient. You want to reflect you being approachable, mm-hmm. consistent in your, in your graciousness. Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to, sh- to see a tape where you are receiving all kinds of news, good news, bad news, challenging news with calm and with acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that will sometimes help people. It will often help people when they're in high stress situations because it, it does give them that observing perspective. What do you think? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You always want people to think about the intent that they had versus, well, the intention they had in their head versus the impact they had in real life. So very often, you know, the videotape, your imaginary videotape would pick up on the fact that somebody turned and snapped at somebody else. Yep. Yep. So later on, I, you know, they, they might be confronted by the recipient of the snappage and, um, you know, the, the speaker will say, well, I, I didn't, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean that. Well, it may not be what you meant, but it's what you said. 
and it's how you said it, yeah. and it's how intention, it made you feel. And, right, intention, intention doesn't versus, matter. Correct. Impact matters. Impact matters. And if you're a leader in any organization at any level, you are never invisible, which means that somebody's always watching you. Yep. They're always evaluating themselves relative to you and you relative to them. They're always judging you, fairly or unfairly. They're always judging you. And so I talk a lot to my clients that it's as if we sprinkle data points about ourselves like rose petals down a path, or we hope they're rose petals anyway. And people are going to connect those data points in the way that makes sense to them. I love that that way of thinking about it. You've talked about the data points and every interaction. In fact, everything people hear about you from others is a data point. And together they construct the impression you're making and over time, the reputation that you have. That's right. Which is why the book, my book is called Managing the Moment. The Moment, yeah. Right. You have this moment to manage how you're coming across and are you having the impact that you want to have. The beautiful thing is your career is a collection of moments. And so you have many, many opportunities to put the data points out there to form the pattern that you want to form so that if you do have a bad day or a regrettable moment, people will say, oh, that's so unlike her. Oh, that's terribly unusual. Let me see if I can help him. Instead of, oh, yeah, what do you expect? Right, or here we go again. Here we go again, exactly. I wanted to return to a point you made as well, that you are, if you are a formal leader, mm-hmm. you have people reporting to you. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll extend that to say, if you are an informal leader, because all of us have people who love and respect us and they're paying attention to us and they're watching us, You, But if you're a formal leader, you, in many ways, are your team's culture. The way you behave, Mm -hmm. the way you talk to others, Mm -hmm. the way you, even the things you do, such as whether or not you take a lunch, whether you go on vacation, all those kinds of things, you are creating the culture, and it's all about what you do. It's It's not just what you say, it's what you do, always. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. In fact, a perfect example was one of the corporations I worked for in the past. Very hardworking, dedicated woman in a a relatively high position, pretty high position. And uh, she didn't need a lot of sleep. So she would send emails at 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning. And and she was stressing people out. And she would say all the time, you know, don't don't do as, you know, you don't have to do as I do. But she would come in in the morning at, you know, 7 o'clock and say to somebody else at 7 o'clock, did you see the email I sent you last night? Yep. Yep. Happens all the time. And Mm -hmm. if you get an email, if you happen to get an email at 1 a.m., if you hear that beep or that buzz and you wake up and look at it, you're going, most people are going to feel, well, she sent the note, she probably wants a response. Mm -hmm. And and the Mm -hmm. fact that you say, do as I say, not as I do, doesn't mm. matter. It just doesn't, doesn't matter. land. It doesn't land doesn't. on people the way that the fact that you actually behave does. And so that's right. Pen those emails, put them in a draft folder if you can't. I'm help exactly because they also add to the stress, right? I mean, oh. all those kinds of things create 
great stress. So what about just how, how, how do you think, how do you recommend that people just de-stress, that they, that they take better care of themselves? Or do you see that as a very individual thing? It is a very individual thing, but I think if I want to talk about stress relative to presence and, and stress relative to our behavior, it's, it is about finding a way to reduce the stress. So for a lot of women, for example, who have trouble saying no when they're given another assignment and another assignment and another assignment, the work is learning how to say no in a way that they don't feel like they're rejecting somebody or destroying their career. So assertively setting limits. Assertively setting key. limits is is key for is a lot key. of for a lot of women and then for men I think it's about recognizing that the people on your team that aren't exactly like you, that may be from a different gender or country of origin or age than you are. We talked about the white male thing before. Yep. yep. They, they process stress differently than you do and they need a different antidote to stress than you do. So for example, men need more stimulation. Women need less stimulation. Well, Lisa, I'm going to need to ask you to leave it there. It's been an enormous privilege, as it always is, speaking with you. We've been speaking with Lisa Parker. She's the CEO of Heads Up Coaching and Consulting. You can learn more about her at www.headsupcoach.com. You should go right to Amazon after this after this broadcast and get Managing the Moment, A Leader's Guide to Building Executive Presence, One Interaction at a Time. I want to leave you with the challenge that stays with me all the time. It is the words of Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde was one of the mothers of the liberation movement for gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people, brilliant writer and speaker. In one of her essays and one of her speeches, she said, your silence will not protect you. I encourage everybody to speak what you need to speak, to say what you have to say, say it with diplomacy, say it with calm, and it's just a very important life skill. My hope is that together we'll continue to break silences, we'll talk about important things that too frequently go unsaid, and we'll find solutions together where necessary. Next week, join me, we'll be talking about manhood in the Me Too era with Ted Bunch, co-founder of A Call to Men, the organization that Gloria Steinem has called the basis for world peace. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. You've been listening to Work Life Confidential. I'd like to thank our executive producer, Randall Libero, and our engineer, Josh. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for listening to Work Life Confidential with Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. We hope you've taken a bit of wisdom from today's program that will help you at work and home. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have an outstanding week.